0: This is a Diet of Brussels. It's the summertime. Uh, well, it seems quite cloudy out, but uh, the weather's been nice and uh, everyone's thoughts turn to breaks. But what are we going to do uh, about Brexit? What can we say? Uh, this has been a very hot, uh, politically speaking, end to a cycle with this week's uh, election uh, of Boris Johnson as Conservative Party leader and therefore his uh, appointment as the new Prime Minister of the UK. What I want to try and do in this episode is just think a little bit about what we know from what Johnson has said and done so far about what that means for Brexit, and just to kind of review where we might be heading in the coming months. And clearly this is uh, a matter of much interest to many parties, and a lot of people have opined on this uh, in the last few days. I think the starting point I'd want to make is that so far in his statements there has not been a policy on Brexit that looks particularly viable. Um, It's not that it's he doesn't have a clear policy, it's just I don't think the policy makes any sense. So what he has said is that on the 31st of October the UK will leave the EU no ifs, no buts. Uh, He would like that and he expects that to be with a deal But if that is not possible, then it would be with no deal. But there's no uh, logic advanced as to why this date is inviolable beyond people are bored uh, with this carrying on and that we need to to move things on. But also, I think there's uh, two other problems. The first is that... In terms of why a deal should be possible, uh, he hasn't advanced something that looks like a credible possibility for renegotiation. The EU has been, I think, clear that it's not willing to uh, renegotiate the substance of the withdrawal agreement. Uh, They've been very clear, in fact, uh, about that. But what has also been evident is that if there were some alternative proposals that came through that made sense in terms of meeting the needs of the EU uh, and that worked better for the UK and therefore was more likely to be uh, approved, then that discussion could certainly be had. So when the EU says that it's only prepared to work on the basis of what is in the withdrawal agreement, that is more flexible perhaps than might be thought, that it's about the principles that the withdrawal agreement embodies, rather than necessarily the words that are used. So if you can reframe and repackage that content in a way that works better for both sides, or certainly for the UK while still meeting the EU's needs, then you've got some options. This is not what Johnson has advanced so far. His clear statement is that there can't be a backstop. He talks uh, again about the uh, elements of alternative arrangements that have been discussed for uh, many uh, times. And all of this really creates a situation where there's no good reason to think that there is a plan that hasn't already been discussed will be advanced and that that plan would be uh, acceptable to the EU uh, whilst also being acceptable to the UK. So in substantive terms there's uh, a problem that uh, the statement that this is uh, highly possible uh, to find common ground doesn't look very realistic. There's also a, a more procedural problem which is that even if now, at the well, the 26th of July, so we've just had the recess start for Parliament, even if on day one of coming back at the beginning of September, Parliament got going with ratifying uh, the, a new deal, or even the current deal, um, there would be a real difficulty in concluding that process in time for the end of October. So remember that UK ratification requires a meaningful vote to be passed by Parliament, by the Commons, uh, which uh, has been uh, where Theresa May had uh, fallen. But it also requires the passing of a withdrawal agreement bill that gives legal effect to the provisions of the bill in UK law. Now, that's a standard of the UK's EU approach, that because we have a system where you can't simply uh, make international treaties part of UK law, you actually have to transpose them into UK law, there's always been a similar bill. So we've had that for each of the treaty reforms and revisions that uh, the UK has gone through, uh, from the Single European Act all the way through to Lisbon. Now, what we know from those past experiences is that those Bills take time to pass. Uh, Even in the least controversial uh, case, which I think was Nice, uh, that still took 10 working days. And in the case of the Maastricht uh, Bill, that took a very long time indeed. That took well over 40 uh, um, sitting days to get through Parliament. So what might we expect from this withdrawal implementation, uh, this withdrawal agreement bill? Well, it's going to have to give effect to some set of provisions uh, dealing with the issues at hand. So the backstop or something else that gives the EU the legal assurance that uh, there will be a reliable framework. So it's going to be something like the backstop. So one would imagine that members of the EIG would have a problem with that. If it's something which is Northern Ireland specific, then you would imagine that the DUP would have problems with all of that. If it is anything that looks as though it might cause problems for uh, finances or obligations with the Court of Justice, you can imagine Uh, other members of parliament having issues with that and clearly opposition parties have no strong incentive to help out a government that looks as though it's in rather a lot of distress. And that's just the Commons. We also have the House of Lords where the government doesn't have a majority and the Lords have already indicated they're very concerned about what this bill might create in terms of legal obligations and constitutional obligations that they intend fully to uh, discuss and explore. So we're at, more likely, the Maastricht end of things than we are at the Nice end of things. Uh, So even in the optimal case where, over the summer, the EU says, oh, yes, new text, here we are, uh, Parliament is still going to be a problem for uh, this government because it still doesn't have a big majority. Uh, We're just about to have the uh, by-election next week which potentially reduces the government majority down to three. All of that then suggests that there's already one major problem which is that you might well get to the end of October and even if Boris Johnson is successful in renegotiating a deal he is almost certainly not going to be able to have got it that through Parliament by the deadline. So when he says no ifs, no buts on the 31st of October, what happens if it turns out that he's halfway through that uh, withdrawal agreement bill process? Does he say, I'm sorry lads, uh, we've reached the deadline and we can't uh, finish that process, even though I sought and secured a renegotiation and uh, it's just because people are dragging their feet on that front? Uh, does that mean that the deadline can actually move? Or does he say, well, actually, of course, uh, it's silly to throw away this hard-fought and hard-secured compromise. Uh, We should delay even if that takes longer. So he's either not being realistic about the deadline, he's not being realistic about the deadline, uh, or he's not being realistic about his intent to secure a revised deal. And you can make the argument that, uh, as presented so far, uh, by saying they are, that the UK is ready and waiting to talk with the EU, uh, that puts it on the EU, even though the EU has long said uh, it's for the UK to come up with proposals rather than the EU. So both sides might end up be waiting for the other Uh, and certainly it doesn't look as though in those initial contacts between Johnson and Juncker that uh, any real substance was exchanged except that of uh, each other's mobile phone numbers. So potentially we end up with a situation where we get to the end of October and the UK says well we were ready to renegotiate but the EU wasn't and it's their fault and so we're heading towards uh, a no deal. Then we come up with the second big problem, which is that Parliament has been very clear that it is not willing to let no deal happen. So we've had several votes, it's the only thing that Parliament has a clear majority for is no willingness to go down a no deal route. Now, again, the cynic might say, well, okay, this is Johnson's way of saying, here I am, I've created a government of all the levers.'" Uh, everyone you've ever heard of who is a vociferous lever, with the exception of uh, Steve Baker, which we'll come back to in a minute, uh, and yet Parliament has stymied our will. Now, that is a interesting position to be in because it raises a real question of what happens then if we get to the end of October and Parliament has required the government to, say, ask for an extension, Uh, of the EU, Uh, not necessarily, you know, said, you know, we have to revoke or that we have to accept the the deal, but we just, we have to have an extension. What then happens? Now here I think we have some different ideas. The government, and actually quite a lot of evidence, suggests uh, that the government is not planning for an autumn general election that uh, there is uh, a real pushback and actually there's not good evidence to suggest that that's what they're trying to do. So even though a lot of people got excited about the appointment of Dominic Cummings to the number 10 staff, with his reputation from the referendum, uh, you know that this is a campaigning government and that you know by packing the, the cabinet with uh, full-on remainers that you are uh, creating a, a situation where, You can say, look, we are credible in our our ambition and our goal. All of that doesn't seem to be on the cards uh, at this stage. Instead, uh, I think the intention might be that perhaps uh, there is a hope that at that point the government is able to leverage out some change from the EU or is able to come up with more detailed propositions with which to renegotiate from, that the withdrawal agreements, the the move to kind of uh, pursue alternative arrangements, you know, that moves on and perhaps uh, it's able to flesh out what looks like a more credible kind of plan. However, in this situation as we get towards a no deal deadline at the end of October, clearly the other factor that comes into play is motions of no confidence. The Liberal Democrats have already tabled such a motion. Uh, They've invited Labour to sign up to that so that it has to be discussed and debated. And uh, that is going to be the big challenge for Labour. Uh, Labour's really not clear about how it wants to play this. It had an opportunity this week to try and uh, go from the off into uh, an a vote of no confidence just to destabilise the government. However, the the evident uh, view was that it made sense to not try and do that on day one of the government because that's the day when Boris Johnson is perhaps most likely to be able to uh, keep his uh, MPs in line. Although, uh, given the extent and the brutality of the cabinet reshuffle, perhaps that was a miscalculation. So we're now waiting for September and October to see if a new window of opportunity opens for Labour to secure that motion of no confidence majority that would be needed to uh, start the process to move towards a general election. And the thinking is that as Johnson tries and fails with his renegotiation efforts, as no deal becomes a more realistic Uh, possibility, so Tory rebels might be more willing to bring down this government uh, or at the very least to uh, vote against the government so as to try and hopefully remove Johnson and install a new leader uh, who might be more amenable to their agendas. Remember though that under the Fixed-Term Parliament Act, a vote of no confidence, if lost, starts a two-week window in which uh, the existing Parliament tries to find a new majority. Now, that can be the same government, that can be the same Prime Minister, that can be different people, different parties, uh, whatever. If you, it's only if you can't find a new majority within the two weeks that you then move to general election. And a general election needs uh, about four weeks to go from start to finish. So we're talking here really about six weeks to get out of that process once you start it. Now, if you remember that Parliament only comes back at the beginning of September, nobody's really around during the summer to do any renegotiating or negotiating or anything. That really only leaves a couple of weeks in September if you want to get that process done before the deadline. The alternative is that you leave things a bit longer when things get a bit more critical, but then you're very much in a situation where Parliament may find itself in the middle of an election campaign on the 31st of October, at which point there is a major question mark over what happens. The convention is that uh, you shouldn't have developments that tie the hands of an incoming government which would imply that there should be a request for an extension, at least until after the election, so a new government can make a decision. Because once the UK leaves, it can't rescind that withdrawal uh, from the EU. However, uh, whilst that is what the Convention says, whether that is what is going to happen in practice or would happen in practice is very uncertain, very unclear and that the government might argue that a decision was made on the 29th of March 2017 to submit a notification to withdraw and that that still stands as the last decision of uh, Parliament. This is all highly problematic, uh, not least because it's not clear who is really in control of agendas. And this maybe is going to be the key battleground over the summer. Who is actually able to shape the debate? Boris Johnson's gambit has been to talk up the positive mental attitude approach to Brexit. That if we just think bright, happy thoughts hard enough, that then everything will come together. Now, if that sounds cynical, it's because it's cynical. Uh, we know that whilst it's great to have a, a positive mental attitude, in this case you need to have substance behind it to make it work. Otherwise, you are not going to see uh, this moving along. The alternative then is that somehow a plan emerges. Now, that might be from bringing some of those efforts to develop alternative arrangements into the formal government machinery. But again, this has been uh, something that has been talked about and considered by those involved for a long time. And uh, simply speaking, they're found to be not credible alternatives to the full range of implications that arise from a no-deal Brexit uh, or from withdrawal, uh, particularly in relation to Ireland. So this isn't just about customs checks or about having uh, technology to check payment of tariffs. This is really about uh, regulatory compliance and alignment, uh, which goes on on an indefinite basis. And we've talked about the backstop before, but again, the point of the backstop is not that it is a standing arrangement. It is that it is there in the absence of alternative plans, alternative arrangements if you want to use that language, that it's just there in case. So the EU don't want to use it any more than the UK do. This still seems to be a uh, problem in the British debate, that the Uh, the view of negotiations is still very zero-sum, that if the EU have agreed to it, it must be bad because they must be getting something out of it because it's not good for us, rather than recognising that both sides might not be doing very well out of it, but it's even worse than not trying to agree something. By bringing in a large number of prominent leavers, Johnson clearly is hoping to cauterize some of the division within the party to say these people now have prominent positions uh, and they shape government debate and so you should be on site. The problem evidently here is that that is only one section of the party And so the real question is whether the more moderate wing of the party, those who are closet or indeed not closet Remainers, uh, decide that their time is up uh, with the party. And for them, they have a range of options. One is to completely leave the party, to join another party. Uh, The Liberal Democrats are looking quite perky uh, at the moment with their new leader, Joe Swinson. Uh, who looks much more adept at navigating uh, the parliamentary waters than uh, Jeremy Corbyn. Do they simply join uh, the Tiggers, uh, Change UK, I think that's what they're called now, Uh, just as an independent uh, and non-aligned? Do they stay in the party but just not vote with the government on uh, relevant bits of uh, legislation? None of these things are clear-cut, and again, it will come very much down to taste. The calculation, perhaps, in number 10 is that, so far in this process, it has been the hard Brexters who are much more comfortable with going for principle over party, that they are the ones who are very inflexible. Uh, and You heard that last night uh, on Newsnight, where you had Marc Francois saying that any form of withdrawal agreement is unacceptable regardless of whether it contains a backstop, that for the ERG, there will be people who will vote against any deal with the EU. And again, you only need uh, two or three of those people uh, to vote with the opposition, who are keen to bring down this government, to find that this uh, process is not going to work. So we might note then that... uh, Already, we have some difference of opinion that Steve Baker, uh, who is a prominent ERGer, uh, has r- declined the opportunity to become uh, a junior minister. I think, uh, as he put it, his uh, experience of helplessness as a junior minister in DEXU is uh, something he didn't care to repeat, and it gives him much more freedom on the backbench to uh, oppose uh, what uh, happens within uh, the government as a whole. So the project to unite the party is already in essence a failure because you have to unite the party without exception if you want to have a, a ghost of a chance of securing your majority. The DUP clearly have their own red lines that are not completely compatible with uh, the position of the Conservative Party. And uh, all of this just creates uh, an ongoing problem. So whilst a lot of people talk about the brutality of the reshuffle, the size of the reshuffle, we have to remember that this is something, one of the only things that is in Boris Johnson's control. As Prime Minister, he's able to shape the cabinet and he's able to choose the people who sit around that table. But cabinet is not the problem. The problem is Parliament and there he doesn't have that same power. He can't increase his majority majority with reshuffles and moving people around. The only way he can get through Parliament and get past Parliament is either through a general election or through uh, a second referendum, quite frankly, that if he were to go to the the people and gain a mandate to go down a no-deal route, then Parliament would be powerless and would, would not try and resist that. That second referendum route doesn't look at all realistic for Johnson. He's shown no interest in going down that path, which really only leaves a general election. So the big question to ponder on this summer is, is Johnson going to try and control the timeline for that, or is somebody else going to try and do it? And the truth uh, is going to be that everyone's going to try and set the agenda. So even though we're packing up for the summer, I think I'm packing up for the summer, uh, and we'll be back in uh, September, there is an awful lot going on. That uh, a parliament in recess means MPs have time to do stuff, to make plans, to plot, and I think we're still going to see quite a lot. So if something does come up, uh, I will find the podcast uh, recorder and we'll do some kind of discussion. But in the meantime, enjoy the summer, enjoy the warmth, uh, and remember, you're going to have a nice hot autumn to look forward to too. So I'm sure that will be nice.